Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. If James was here today and he asked a question, he goes, how many of you are wise? And if you were foolish enough to raise your hand, James would say, prove it. Show it to me by the way you live your life. Show it to me by the way you treat other people. This is what James is trying to say. James is saying that wisdom is something you demonstrate. Wisdom is something you reveal by the way you treat others, by the way you live. He says it's not just the words you say, it's the works you do. James says specifically that we demonstrate wisdom through deeds done in humility. We do it through deeds done in humility. However, there's a wrong kind of wisdom. There's a right wisdom and there's a, a wrong wisdom. James talks about in verses 14 through 17, he talks about uh, 14 through 16, he talks about a wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. Did you know there's two kinds of wisdom in the world? There's the wisdom of the world and there's the wisdom of God. Uh, James says this wisdom that comes from the world is this way. Look what he says, verse 14 through 16. But... If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, quotation, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. James says that this, this wisdom is earthly, it's unspiritual, it's of the devil. And he says it brings disorder, it brings problems, it brings chaos, and it brings confusion in your life, in your church, in your relationships. It causes a lot of problems in our lives. This wisdom that comes from the world. Now, we don't want that kind of wisdom. We want a different kind of wisdom. We want a wisdom that comes down from heaven. And this is where James brings home the point in verse 17. James is going to give us six characteristics of wise people. So here's what we're going to do. I know you all are going to love this, okay? I know you. We are going to take a test today, all right? We're going to take a test. We're going to take a wisdom test to see how we're doing with this thing we call wisdom. I failed, by the way. So, you know, uh, I just want you all to know this, okay? So let's see how we do. The first thing that James says, if we look at verse 17, if I am wise, I will not compromise my integrity. If I'm wise, I will not compromise my integrity. Look at what he says. But in contrast to the gut, to this, this, this wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual of the devil, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. First of all pure. Underline that word pure. That's your first test. Pure. The word pure means uncorrupted. It means authentic. It's used in 1 John chapter 3, verse 3 to describe Jesus. Jesus is pure. It means he, he's, uh, he, he's uncorrupted. He's authentic. Or Jesus was a person of integrity. So if you're a person of integrity, you're not going to lie. Uh, you're not going to cheat. You're not going to manipulate people. You're not going to be deceitful. Why is that? Because if, you're, if, if you don't have integrity, who's going to trust you? If you don't have integrity, who's going to respect you? Uh, you see, he's saying we need this kind of wisdom 
in the world. Dr. Leonard Keeler was the guy who invented the light detector machine, and he conducted 25,000 tests on individuals. At the end of it, he basically concluded that all people are liars, that all people are dishonest. That's what he came out to prove. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 9 says this, the man of integrity walks securely. You see, you're not afraid of being found out because you have nothing to hide. You're honest. You're, you're, you're a man that's trustworthy. And if you do that, you don't have to worry about anything. Uh, he says, if you're wise, you'll have that. The fact of the matter is that no man has a good enough memory to be a habitual liar. Eventually, you're going to be found out. Eventually, somebody's going to know that's not true. And then the question, once that happens, guess what? Your integrity is gone. Your integrity is gone. So James says if you have integrity, you have confidence. You don't have to worry uh, about your relationship because they know they can trust you. They know you're going to speak the truth. I always say and I, I always try to always speak the truth in love or as Jesus said, speak the truth with grace. With grace. You've got to be a person of integrity. If you do that, you can walk securely in your relationships. Second truth, if I am wise, I will not antagonize your anger. Look at verse 17 again. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving. It's peace-loving. It's, uh, it means maintaining harmony. Uh, you're not out looking for a fight. I read about one guy who was so argumentative, he would only eat food that disagreed with him. That's the way it was. You know people like that? All they want to do is argue and fight. All they want to do is antagonize. You know, uh, you say red, they say blue. You say I'm a Cowboy fan, I said, I'm a, they say I'm a Redskin fan. You say you're a Ranger fan, they say I'm a Yankee fan. You know, and they've, they've never even been to New York. You know, uh, it's just those kind of, of people. You say you're a Bible Methodist, you know, whatever. Just opening it up. Whatever they say, they want to fight. They want to be antagonistic towards you. If you're smart, you don't antagonize people's anger. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 3 says this, It is man's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. You know what caused arguments? If you knew what caused arguments, you would probably be more equipped to avoid them. Uh, three things that cause arguments. The first one is comparing. Comparing causes arguments. What if you say, well, you're just like so-and-so? Or you're just like that. Or then one of my favorites, you know, our, our favorites is, why can't you be like your brother? Why can't you be like your sister? The minute you say that, you're becoming argumentative, comparing. So comparing is a problem. Another one is condemning. Uh, condemning is, uh, well, you're always wrong. Uh, well, you just do that to get in trouble. Always condemning uh, something, someone. Bringing them down, beating them up. Condemning what they say, condemning what they do. I've often, I've read somewhere that uh, you can bury a marriage with a lot of digs. Just keep digging. Just keep digging at them and condemning them and you can bury it. The third one is contradicting. Comparing, condemning, contradicting. You know, when, when somebody's in the middle of a sentence and you contradict what they say, well, that can't be true. And you, you just contradict everything. And that's so frustrating. You just, you just want, to ring, you want to wring their neck, right? You want to wring their neck. That doesn't sound very friendly, does it? But, but you, know, you know I'm speaking the truth. You say you can't get a word in edgewise because they're always contradicting you. 
Somebody once said the secret of wisdom is knowing what to overlook. The secret of wisdom is knowing what to overlook. You've got to know it's not worth the fight. I've often said as a pastor, I know y'all do not believe that pastors ever get into conflict because we're perfect in every way. And I often, I often sit there and say, as I look at situations in the church, I say, is this a mountain or is it a molehill? Is it a mountain or a molehill? If it's a mountain, I'll die on it, okay? If it's a molehill, I'm not going to die on it. And sometimes you got to know the difference. You know, some people make mountains out of molehills. I want to be the guy that makes uh, mountains into molehills. I don't want to make them that big of a deal. But we have to know when to fight and when not to fight. James says, if I'm wise, I will compromise. And I'll not antagonize people's anger. Proverbs 14, 29 says, a patient man has great understanding but a quick-tempered man displays folly. Have you ever done some, something stupid in anger? Don't, don't, don't answer. Uh, you ever done that? That's rhetorical. Uh, James says that doesn't make sense. Anger causes mistakes. As a matter of fact, Paul was saying in the book of Ephesians, he said, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Why? He says, because then you give Satan a foothold into your life. So we got to be careful. Or we don't want to do that. Look at the third one. If I'm wise, I will not minimize your feelings. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate. The word considerate literally means mindful of the feelings of others. See, we often make this common mistake. If, if you don't feel the way I feel, then my feelings must, must be invalid or illogical or irrational or silly because you don't agree with me, you must be wrong. Your feelings are not valid because everybody should agree with me or everybody should agree with you. But a wise person doesn't say that. A wise person recognizes that you have feelings and I have feelings. And feelings are valid. They're, they're real. You may not agree with them. You have to at least acknowledge them that they are valid. Uh, and you have to do that. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 4 says, The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. If you're not wise, you say things that hurt people. If you're not wise, you belittle the feeling of another one. Say, ah, that feeling's not legitimate. Hey, you don't know what you're talking about. But they have feelings. And you've got to recognize that in life. James says, if I'm wise, I will recognize the feelings, or not minimize the feelings of others. I will be considerate of what they're thinking and what they're feeling. You ever play the game, uh, my day can top your day? Y'all know what I'm talking about? You, ever done? you may not know that's what it's a day. Here, here it is. You know, the husband goes off to work. He comes home work, and he's kind of upset. He's got base. And the wife says, what's going on? He goes, man, I had a terrible day. I had a terrible day. Air conditioner broke down on Interstate 35. I got stuck in a traffic jam. Made me late to work. And then the boss got on to me and docked me. He said, I've had a bad day. The wife said, oh, yeah? My day can top your day. He said, you know, I got up this morning and, and the dog pooped in the, on, the, on the carpet. I had to clean it up. And while I was doing that, Junior dumped the cat into the toilet. And by the way, I burned, I burned supper. My day can top your day. Here's the point. Can't you just both acknowledge you had a bad day? Why does your day have to be worse than that person's day? You know, why can't we as spouses say, 
you had a bad day and we don't have to try to top them with that. My day can beat your day. We do it all the time. Whether we, we, we say that game or not, we do it all the time. Why can't we just allow our spouse to be tired without us having to be more tired than our spouse? He says we will recognize and we will minimize our feelings. Second, third, fourth. If I'm wise, I will not criticize your input. The fact of the matter is, we can learn from anybody. Anybody. Everybody has something to contribute, something that we can learn from. We don't have to be defensive when somebody gives input. Listen to what they're having to say. You've got to be open to reason. You don't have to be stubborn. You've got to be willing to listen. You've got to be willing to learn. Actually, the word is used here. Look at it. It says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive. This is the word submissive. The word is not really submissive. A better word is reasonable, willing to listen, uh, being open to ideas, being open to input, being open to suggestions. Are you a reasonable person? Can somebody sit down with you and y'all can reason together? You know, that's what the book of Isaiah says. Come, let us reason together. That was obviously not written for a Baptist church. You know, as Baptists, we, we don't like the reason. We want our way or the other way. We don't like the reason. But James, God, Jesus, God said, come, let us reason together. Uh, let, let, us, let us take one another's input. Some people say, don't confuse me with the facts. I've made up my mind. When I want your opinion, I'll tell you what it is. We do that often. But a wise person will be open to input and won't criticize it. Don't be defensive. We often do that. If someone makes a suggestion that may not be our suggestion, we get upset and we, we, we take it as personal criticism. And we get upset about it. I remember hearing... A, the story of a pastor who preached his very first sermon at, his first, at this church. And after it was done, a person came up to him afterwards uh, and he said, Pastor, that, that was a terrible sermon. And so the pastor's trying to be real. He's trying to be authentic. And he said, well, what did you not like about it? And the man said, well, first you read it. Second, you read it poorly. Third, it wasn't worth reading in the first place. The pastor, you know, he kind of took it hard. And after that, a guy came up behind him and says, Pastor, don't listen to old Jim. He just repeats what everybody else says. <laughs> don't take things personally. Uh, don't, don't do it that way. We've got to be open to input. Uh, don't criticize. You know, uh, I remember uh, in, in one church, Lady said, "You know, I have. Uh, it wasn't my. It wasn't my. It wasn't my, me. It was another pastor." And this lady said, "You know, pastor, I have one talent. I have the gift of criticism." And the pastor said, "Oh, he said, please go bury that talent. Go bury that talent." Here's the difference, folks. There's a difference between criticism and a critique. A critique builds up. Criticism tears down. We got to remember when I was uh, when I was uh, learning. Uh, when I was in seminary, and we would preach our class, preach our sermons in, in preaching class, and the professor would sit out there, and you know, you always worry because he's writing stuff down. And many of you write down, oh man, what did I, you're going, what did I say wrong? Did I do something wrong? And so, but what he's doing, he's critiquing us. And at the end of it, you know, they, they recorded your sermon, and then he would come on and, re and record his critique. 
And it was all beneficial, nothing critical. You see, sometimes we develop a critical spirit, not a spirit of critique that builds people up. He said, we, we've got to be careful of that. We don't want to criticize. We don't want to be defensive when people offer a critique. Proverbs 12, verse 15 says, The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Listen, if somebody says something, and it's true, okay, listen and learn. Listen and learn. If what they say is false, ignore it and forget it and move on from that. That's what you have to do. Uh, There's a story in the Old Testament. I can't remember exactly where it is, but I know know it's right after David was driven from uh, Jerusalem from Absalom's rebellion. He was was driven out, and on the way out, there was a, a servant of Saul who began shouting insults at David, basically saying, David, you're getting exactly what you deserve. You did all this to Saul. You're getting exactly what you deserve. God has deserted you, went on and on and on. So one of David's men said, said, do you want me to go over and cut his head off? You know, boy, that, that, that's, that's, that's what you call standing up somebody. And David said, he said, no. He said, how do I know that God did not put that person there to offer me a critique? He said, if it's not true, it won't come true. And sometimes we need to understand that in, in church and in relationships. If there's an element of truth there, maybe God put that person there for you to learn something. You see, we can all learn from somebody. But if it's false... And it's an outright lie. Just ignore it and move on and forget it. Fifth, if I'm wise, I will not emphasize your mistakes. Oftentimes we jump on people when they blunder. Look at what he says in verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit. He says wisdom is full of mercy. Mercy. Mercy means we won't emphasize mistakes. Oftentimes, we never let people off the, off the hook. We remember everything they've ever done. Everything they've ever done. Every word they've ever said. Every action they've ever performed. We, we remember it, and then we wait for the opportune time to drop it on them. We're bringing up the past. Many of you have heard, heard a story such as this. Two pastors go to a convention. They haven't seen each other. They were schoolmates. They haven't seen each other in years because they pastor in different states. And they come together. They bump into each other at the convention. And, and, and they meet. And they reminisce. And they start talking. And it goes into the wee hours of the night. And both of them know they're going to be in trouble by their spouses when they get back to the room. But they, they dismiss and it goes back. Well, the next day, uh, they bump into each other again. And one of them says, how'd your wife take it? He says, oh, man, the minute I walked into the room, she got historical. He said, don't you mean hysterical? No, she got historical. She brought up everything I've ever done wrong. <laughs> we do that. Well, I remember when you did that. I remember when you did that. I remember when you did that. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you glad that Jesus remembers your sins no more? He doesn't keep bringing it up and bringing it up. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, all of your sins were in the future. He died for your past, your present, and your future sins, and He will never bring them up again. But yet, what do we do? We who are Christ followers, we bring up every sin, every disobedience, every rebellion, everything that we bring it up 
upon them. We get historical of people. James says, that's not wise. You've got to show mercy. You've got to demonstrate mercy. Proverbs 17 verse 9 says, He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Let me ask you a question. When somebody makes a mistake, and do you rub it in or do you rub it out? Do you rub it in or do you rub it out? Listen, we don't need judgment in the world. We need encouragement. We need to be building people up, not tearing people down. Notice what he says. He says this, this mercy, this mercy we give, it's not just something you talk about. It's, oh, I'm going to be merciful. He goes, no. He says, it bears fruit. That's what he says in this passage. He says it's full of mercy and good fruit. Fruit is something you see. Fruit is something that's active. He said, you just don't talk about being merciful. You actually are kind in your actions. You take action to help that individual who's going through that difficult time. Maybe they've got a history of making the same mistake over and over. Have you ever thought, said, man, I know you're struggling with this. Can I walk with you through this and help you through that? Isn't that what we need more of? We need people helping us going through that. Going through that. Wisdom is mercy and good fruits. James chapter 2 verse 12 says, Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If I'm wise, I will be merciful. And I will demonstrate it by good fruit. Last one. If I am wise, I will not disguise my own weaknesses. Look at what he says, verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Impartial and sincere. The words there in, in the original Greek are, are kind of almost similar. They sound alike. And it, it's, it's the word where we get our modern-day word hypocrite. I think the Greek word is hypocritos, uh, but... It's not because I know Greek. I read a Greek book once. Um, hypocrite. But it has a great, great richness to it. It comes, out of the, it comes out of classical Greek. In those days, you know, they did Greek theater. And in the theater, they'd only have three, four, five actors. That's it. But they'd play all the parts. And what they would do when they would come to play a different part, they'd put on a different mask. And so you might have one guy playing four parts. And every time he would say a line, he put on a different mask. And the audience would know, oh, he's playing another part. He's playing a different part. That mask is called a hypocrite. A hypocrite. It's somebody putting on a mask. He's not really who he says he is. He's playing a part. That's what he's doing in that context. So when you look at it in this, he says that, that we are impartial and sincere. James is saying if we are wise, we're not a phony. If we're wise, we don't wear masks. If we're wise, we tell people, we're not perfect. You know how it is. Come on. You know, we don't do it as much today as we did back when I was growing up in the old days. You know, on Sundays we dress up, put on our best clothes. And everybody said, oh, look at them, they look so nice. Boy, if they knew what was going on in our hearts, they'd have nothing to do with us. But what we do is we pretend that we're something we're really not. We put on masks. 
And James said, listen, be wise, don't wear a mask. Uh, don't pretend to be something that you're not. It's dumb to pretend. Listen, uh, can, I, can I be honest with you? What we need in the church is real people. If you're a phony and you're not real, this might not be the church for you. This is a church where we have real problems. We have real difficulties. We're going through real situations. We've got real sins. And we want people coming here so they can get the help that they need. And we're all in this together. But if you're going to be a phony and a fake, you know, there might be someplace else for you. We want people here that have real problems. So we can love one another. And we can help one another. And we can care for one another. Say, look, and we ain't got it all figured out either. But I say, well, together we can do it. Together we can do it. And I tell you what, if you're real, and if you're honest, people love realness, and they love honesty. And I'm telling you what, the world out there is looking for real Christians. They're not looking for people that got their act together. They're not looking for people that are holier than thou. They're looking for people that say, hey, I'm struggling too, man. Yeah, I got that problem too. I ain't got it all figured out. They, they want that. And they want you to be, to be real. They want you to be honest with them. So it's dumb to pretend that you've got your act together. You know, somebody who, who, who recognizes, I have weaknesses too. People like honesty. And if you're honest with them, and if you're real to them, guess what? They'll be more open. They'll be more honest with you. So here's the question I ask you. How are you doing on the wisdom test? How do you do with these six things? Do you compromise your integrity? Do you antagonize other people's anger? Do you minimize the feelings of others? Do you criticize their input? Or do, do you emphasize their mistakes? Do, do, you, do you disguise your own weaknesses? If not, you're failing the, the wisdom test. And James says this is what it looks like. He says peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Relationships. It all has to do with relationships. So how do I get this wisdom? What do I do? Do I read a book? Do I, do I just wake up and say, okay, today my resolution is I'm going to be wise. I'm going to get wisdom. It doesn't work that way. That, that's not the way it happens. You know, do you look out or do you look up? You see, that's really where it comes down to. Knowledge comes from, from reason. Wisdom comes from revelation. Knowledge comes from reason. Wisdom comes from revelation. Knowledge is something you learn. Wisdom is a gift from God. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Listen, I pray every day, God give me wisdom. God give me wisdom. God give me wisdom. Sometimes I pray it 50 times a day. Uh, yeah, and maybe he's given me wisdom because I know I need more of it. God, give me wisdom. I need wisdom. I mean, if you, if you have wisdom and you love people, you're going to be successful in life. I'm going to be successful in life. If you have wisdom and you love people, you're going to be successful. And what does James say? Man, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. He gives generously. He goes on and says, but you have to believe that God exists. He gives generously. So if you're lacking wisdom, uh, you, you come to God and you seek it. But let me tell you, it doesn't happen by osmosis. You can't say, give me wisdom. This is what I believe. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. That's true. And then God's going to say, what are you doing to get it? 
You need to be studying His Word. You need to be studying His Word. You need to be praying. You need to be in church, worshiping and serving next to other believers. And as, as, you're, as you're, 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 you're putting yourself in that melting pot and everything's coming together and the whole time you're praying for God's wisdom, God is manifesting His wisdom in your life. But so many times, and you know I speak the truth, so many times I say, God, give me wisdom. God says, what are you going to do? Why would God give us wisdom if we're not going to do anything with it? But we say, God, give me wisdom, give me wisdom. God says, get in my word. Pray. Get around other Christians. Do that, and I'll give you the wisdom. I'll give you the wisdom, but we don't want to do that. I've said this a thousand times. God will never do by a miracle what we ought to do out of obedience. Never. But we want the miracle, but we don't want to do anything. You want wisdom? Let him ask God. Who gives it generously? As you hang out with Christians, study God's Word, and you pray, and you're involved in ministry and missions. Listen to what he says. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 2. Two to three, and we sum it up with this. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures, wisdom, and knowledge. Did you catch that? Everything is wrapped up in Jesus. Everything is wrapped up in Christ. That's where we find treasures, wisdom, and knowledge. Wisdom and understanding. So here's what you have to do. For some of you, you want to be wise. God is saying, you got to get connected to Jesus. you got to get connected to Jesus. And you need to say a prayer, something like this. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm messing up in my life. So Lord, I'm wanting Jesus to come into my life. And I want Jesus to take control of my life. I want His words to speak through me. I want His actions to be revealed through me. I want His words to be my words. I want my life to be His life. God, I want you to transform me and give me the wisdom that comes with Jesus. Listen, the wisest decision I ever made in my life was to give my life to Jesus. It could be the wisest decision you ever make. If you want wisdom, come to the wise one. Come to Jesus, who in Him, all wisdom and knowledge is there. For some of you, you need to do that. And what you would discover as you, as you get the wisdom that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ and God continues to pour His wisdom into you, you discover that you begin acting differently around people. You begin acting wisely in your relationship with others. And listen, they may not change. They might not. Just because you get wise in your, in your relationship with others, that doesn't mean they're going to get it. But guess what? You'll start looking at them differently. And slowly but surely, they might become different in your eyes. In your eyes. But see, it's really not about them. It's about you. How are you relating to others? Not about how are they relating to you. You ever thought that maybe they treat you like a jerk because you're a jerk? You say, but if you're wise and you begin treating people wisely, then it will begin to permeate every relationship that you have. In a moment, 
We're going to have a time of response. A time for you to reflect upon what was said, maybe respond to what was said. Maybe there's somebody here, you know, we don't do this often here, you know, because we, we like to protect our space. Maybe there's somebody you got to go and say, hey, I've treated you badly. And you got to seek their forgiveness. And go says, I have not acted wisely towards you. Maybe you need to do that in this room. And uh, I know you're all, oh, but if I do that, everybody will know. I said, so what? Be real. Be real. Who cares what other people think? The only thing I ought to care about is what God thinks. Or maybe there's somebody you got to call. Somebody you need to go to their house and talk to them. And say, hey, I want to apologize. Will you help me? For others of you say, hey, I need a relationship with Jesus. I know almost everyone in here. But I don't know your heart. I don't know why. I don't know. I wasn't there when you said, I'll make Jesus Lord of my life. I wasn't there. So some of you say, I need Jesus. I want the wisdom that's manifested in Jesus Christ to be manifested in my life. For others of you, hey, we need a church home. We need a place we can come, we can serve, we can minister, uh, we can be encouraged, and we can be a part of doing the same thing to others.